0: Okay. This morning, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the, the remaining uh, portion of chapter three of uh, Hebrews, uh, verses uh, seven through nineteen. I entitled this "The Danger of Unbelief." That's really what this talks about. It's a warning passage. Um, Hebrews is filled with warning passages, and this is this is is one of them. And uh, um, as we come into this this particular passage, it. Uh, the author keyed off of Psalm 95. Uh, that's basically where this psalm, uh, or, or where this passage, where this passage uh, is 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 coming from. It uses it uses the failure of the Exodus generation in the wilderness uh, to follow their God and to obey Him. And uh, uh, it uses that; it sets that as the backdrop and the example for what he's going to what he's going to say to us, primarily in verses twelve through fifteen, <clears throat> as far as the uh, the warning to us. And I thought, just as an introduction before as we would get started, we just read through Psalm ninety five in the in the. Uh, that's translated from the from the Hebrew rather than the Septuagint, which is how he's going to use it, and you'll see the difference when we get there. But this is an interesting psalm because it's actually a call to worship psalm. It uh, it's used that way uh, very often in Christian worship. Uh, it was used quite a bit in the early church as a call to worship. It was used in Israel, in the Jewish synagogues, as a call to worship. It and and, and Psalm 96 together were used as a call to worship. And then it has this reminder in the, at the end of it. So it starts out like this. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make joyful noises to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And then it changes tone quite abruptly and says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as they did at at, uh, uh, Meribah. Or on the or on the day at Mesha, in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, and put me to the uh, put, and put me to prove through they uh, they've seen my works for forty years. I loathed that generation. I said they are a people who have gone astray in their hearts and have not known my way. Therefore, I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. And the uh, author of Hebrews is going to focus on those, on from seven B through eleven, as uh, as his uh, uh, his starting point for this. But it will be a little bit different when we read it in this passage because it comes from the LXX. It comes from the Septuagint. So it's the Greek translation. It's a uh, translated. It's a Greek translation of the Hebrew, then translated into English. So <laughs> we have a few uh, a few. Hoops that were jumped to get there. So anyway, that's where we're going to be this morning, as we look at the danger of unbelief in Hebrews three seven through nineteen. <clears throat> uh, are, is there any uh, anyone have any prayer requests they want to uh, to share this morning? Oh yeah, just Annie and Nathan and the kids are be flying home. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Annie and Nathan are uh, are missionaries with uh, 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 biblical literature in French, uh, in French, and they're stationed in France. And mom and dad are getting them to come home with the grandkids for a little bit. So, <laughs> <Home is after. laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that's uh, anyway. For Sam, yeah. So he's in Little Rock applying for jobs there. We're going to probably move at the end of the year. Oh no, really? So, I know. Yeah. So he's got some great leads. We have a good family friend there that he's staying with in the meantime that's helping us get connected. There's a great church there he's at today. and So he's just putting his foot to the pavement, and making stuff happen. So just okay. God's grace and leading to the right thing, the sermon in that. Uh, well, it's both sad and exciting. Yeah, I mean, we feel the same. Okay. <laughs> hey, Ed, could I ask you to open us this morning? Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you lead us. We thank you that you've told us that if we have a need, that we can bring it to you, Lord. And uh, I pray that you would uh, touch these lives, open our eyes to your word, and what you have to say to us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we so as we come to the text this morning, we want to see. First of all, uh, he talks about the, tre- the true source of the text this morning. Uh, as he begins in verse seven, he says, "Therefore." And of course, you always got to ask, "What's the therefore?" Therefore, and he's 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 telling us uh, to look back to chapter three, basically, to to keep in mind that we're talking about Jesus, who is superior to Moses. Moses was the uh, the leader of uh, of the nation under the Exodus. He's the guy who God called and used mightily. He's a man who was uh, uh, a man whom God trusted immensely and gave tremendous responsibility to. He is the guy who wrote the law and or who wrote it down and who gave it to Israel and who taught it to Israel. And And so for Moses is probably the most important picture or the, the most important person in, uh, in, in, in Israeli history. And so, as we come to this text, the, the, uh, the author is showing us that Jesus stands above Moses. That's, that's the, the thing he's wanting to drive home. And he did it in this way in chapter 3 in the beginning. It's been a couple of weeks since we were there. So he said this about him. He said that that Jesus was both the apostle and the high priest. He was both. He was both the representative God to man, which Moses had been that. Moses had, in that sense, had been an apostle. He had been the one that represented God before the Israeli people. But here he's telling us Jesus is the one who represents God before all men. And then secondly, he was the high priest. Jesus was the one who represents us before God. That, that, that was a, a mark above Moses. Moses' brother was the high priest. He wasn't. He didn't carry both offices. And he's pointing that out. That Jesus held a higher ranking. Uh, he was the representative both of God and of, of man, or, or of God to man and man to God. And he says. And secondly, he says Moses was a faithful servant in the household of God. Now that's a high honor. Uh, the, 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 the text there, the way it uses those words, it's, it's saying it's a position of honor. He's not just, he wasn't just the waiter. Uh, he, was, he was the manager. Uh, he was the guy who, who oversaw things for God. Uh, he held a high and honored position, and he was faithful in doing it. With the mark of a good steward. He was faithful. But then he says of Jesus... <coughs> Jesus is higher than that because he wasn't a servant in the house he was over the house he owned it it was his house and that puts him markedly above so he then says therefore as the Holy Spirit has said today if you hear his voice and, and here is a, a strong and powerful statement for the inf- inspiration of scripture That's what he's declaring here. He's saying to these Hebrew Christians, he's saying, This is what God has to say. Now, Psalms 95 has been attributed to David. But nowhere in this text is David going to be mentioned until we get to chapter 4. He's going to talk about the Spirit. He says, the Spirit of God is the one who gave us this text. And he quotes, and then after that, and he follows that by quoting Psalm 95, 7b-11. through and, and, and it's clearly a picture here that these are the words of God. David was a human instrument through which the Holy Spirit delivered it. But the, the, the text did not come from David. He didn't dream it up. The Holy Spirit gave it to him. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, we have a clear picture of inspiration. Here is the, here is the true author, God. 2 Peter 1:21 says, For no prophecy is ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the idea here. David was one of those men through whom the Holy Spirit gave us this text. He was carried along by him. 2 Timothy 3, 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This, that text is, is uh, one of the primary texts we use for, for the whole concept of inspiration, which is actually the ESV has, has it better because that's the literal translation of theonumitas. God breathed out. That's what it means. Scripture was breathed out by God. Paul, and Incidentally, I don't know if you know this or not, but God, uh, Paul invented that word. Yeah. It's found nowhere else in Greek literature. <laughs> he invented it. <laughs> he made up the word. Theo, God, pneuma, breath, tossed, ending, meaning out. God expirated the words of Scripture, in other words, is what he's saying here. That's where they came from. They came from the very mouth of God. That's, that's the point that he's trying to, that he's trying to bring here. And so that's what we have then. What we mean when we say inspiration is we mean that God, through the Spirit, used men. He used their talents. He used their abilities. He used their education. He used their history. But he used men to give his inerrant word. That's what he did. And that's how he did it. The Spirit moved them along. And God breathed out the words that they that they communicated to us. So that's what he's saying here now. He's saying, listen, the Spirit has this to say. That should mean we perk up our ears and listen. You know, that's kind of the idea here. You should listen to this. And he goes on and he says, today, if you hear his voice. Now, day, today doesn't mean, I forgot what the date is today. But anyway, whatever today is, Sunday, it doesn't mean on Sunday. You've got 24 hours to get this. That doesn't what it means. It means while the time is there, while the time is available, while the time is right. That's what it means. That's what he means by saying day here. It's the same thing as saying this is the day, uh, this is the day of salvation, that kind of an idea. It's, it's take the opportunity while you've got it, is what he's saying, today. That's what he's saying, today. This uh, this, pa- this part of the passage, uh, the the last part of verse 7 and verse 8, are going to be repeated in Hebrews, well here, 7 and 8, and then again in 13, again in 15, and again in 4, 7. It's a-, a repeated passage. It's going to be a theme through these two chapters. Today, if you hear the voice, do not harden your hearts, is the idea. Uh, that's what he's going to call them on to. It means don't wait around and let your heart become stiff to what the spirit has to say. As I said, the initial part of this psalm was a call to worship. That's, that's what it was all about. It was calling us to bow before our God, our creator, to, to recognize that we were the sheep of his pasture and the work of his hand. Uh, that's those were the things that we were called to remember and then he's here saying in 7b through 19 that it's a warning to you not to neglect to give God the glory he is due like Israel did that's that's basically the idea here uh, it's not to test and rebel against God as the exodus generation did. Pay attention to what the Spirit says. Listen today while you can. That's that's the idea that he wants us to understand. And he wants us to understand that these words are coming direct. Well, indirect. But they're coming from God. Uh, That's the idea. They were breathed out by him. Uh Uh-oh. Pages are out of order. Sorry. And then he goes on in verse 8 through 11, and he gives the example of, uh, of Israel. He says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion and the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And I said, they have gone astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he gives us now the example of the of the Genesis or of the excuse me of the Exodus generation and what went on with them. We're not going to go into the full history of Israel in Egypt, but just as kind of a reminder, uh, Israel spent 400 years in Egypt. 200 years they were friendly and nice and got along and everything was fine, and 200 years they were slaves. In that first 200 years, they became a big and mighty people. Uh, In Exodus 1.8, we're told that a pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. Joseph is the one who had brought them there. Joseph had brought the world through a great famine. Joseph had been basically elevated to prime minister of the world. It doesn't say that, but that's the title I gave him. Uh, anyway, Anyway, but he had been elevated to that position... That he was basically controlling everything and Pharaoh could go play golf. That's kind of what was, was going on. And, and, and as a result of all of that, he brought his family to Egypt where they could be protected by him. But, as time went on, as the political format changed in, in, in Egypt, and the Pharaohs didn't know Joseph, and they looked out and they saw this Mass of people who were not Egyptians living next door, they became fearful of them. Like happens. I mean, that's world history over and over and over. And basically, they decided, well, what we got to do is we got to corral them. You know, we got to put them in subjection to us. We can't let them get strong and powerful, so they enslave them. And eventually, God delivered them, the exodus. He, he raised up Moses and sent Moses to bring them out. And he says, so he says here, he says that generation, that following generation, that following generation, he says, don't harden your heart. He says, if you, you believers in Jesus Christ who are in my church, look to the example here and make sure that you don't allow this to be happening within your assemblies. He says, don't harden your heart. That's what the G- Exodus generation did. They hardened their heart. This word "harden" means to dry up, stiffer hard. It means to have a dried up heart, an insensitive heart, one that doesn't respond. And of course, it's not talking about the blood pump. It's talking about the mind. In other words, they had dried up brains, is kind of the idea here. But he's, he says, don't, don't let that happen. Don't become stiff and hard. The idea he's, he's trying to get through is that they need to listen to what the Spirit has to say. They need to listen to what is going on here. The picture here is they became deaf to the voice of God. They turned a deaf ear to God that's ultimately what he's saying here. That Exodus generation didn't want to listen to God. Years ago, <clears throat> in the church that I used to serve, I, I taught the adult Bible school there, or the, and, and uh, uh, there was a lady in that in that church. She, she, was, she, she was a very faithful, was there every Sunday. She came all the time, and she brought her husband with her. Her husband was not a believer. And he would come in, and he did this in the in the regular church too. But he, uh, I saw it quite. You, you realize the guy standing up here, he sees everything you're doing, I, you know. <laughs> but anyway, if you're frowning at him, he knows it, you know. It's it's, it's whatever. But uh, but uh, this guy would come and he would sit down in the chair, and he would turn slightly sideways, and he would hump his shoulders over and he would look at the floor. He was deaf to the word of God, totally. Death to the word of God. He was there every Sunday in Sunday school and Sunday worship service. And he never heard the word. It never penetrated his dried up deaf brain. And he went into eternity that way. It's horrifying to think of that. That's what, that's what, that's what the author is telling us here. Don't harden your 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 uh, uh, your heart. Uh, don't refuse to listen. Don't refuse to listen to God. And he's already started out by telling us these words are from him. He says, "Don't." And he, he goes on and he says he says. <clears throat> So don't don't harden your heart, as in the rebellion in the day of testing in the wilderness. And this is kind of an interesting play that that it goes on here. In the in the Hebrew, it says at uh, at Meribah and at Massai, and basically those two words in Hebrew mean rebellion and testing. That's that's what they mean. And so in the Greek translation, they just translated they just translated them that way into the Greek words for rebellion and, and testing, and we translated them into the English words rebellion and testing in this in this instance. And so he's talking about in you know, a rebellion in the time of testing, which took place right after the crossing of the Red Sea when they wanted water. Which mm-hmm. do you realize the irony of that one? <laughs> I mean, just stop and think about that for a minute. You just crossed the Red Sea. You watch God part the water, and you walk through on dry land, and then you throw a hissy fit because you wanted some fresh water to drink on the other side. That's what's going on here. That's what he's talking about. And he says, he says they quarreled, uh, Exodus 17, uh, 17, 7 says, they quarreled with Moses over it. They went after God's man because they wanted fresh water and they wanted it now. They could have had a whole lot of it if they'd waited a little bit. But anyway, he says, he says, he says, we wanted, we wanted, we, we want the water now. And the, this rebellion, the word means to become embittered or exasperate is the idea here. And, and he goes, and he says, and he says, in testing the other one, testing that he put them to the test this is this is not a good thing. This is not kind of a test to see how good you are. This is a test to show how bad you are. It's a pushing. It's a prodding. It's a demanding. It's, it's a requiring something of God that because I deserve it kind of idea. And eventually God tells him to strike the rock. Tells Moses to strike the rock and they had all the water they could drink. And Moses in Numbers, chapter 20, verse 13, calls it the place of rebellion. The place of Meribah. That's what he named the place. Meribah. The place where they rebelled. Where they became embittered. They became angry. And they pushed. That's the idea here. You see, it shows a progression here. A hardened heart becomes embittered toward God and his word that's what happens and then in verse verse 9 he goes on and he says where your fathers put me to the test and they saw my work for 40 years and here's here's kind of the interesting thing to me is he says they put me to the test they had a they rebelled they tested me it was a day of trial that lasted 40 years they kept pushing god their hard hearts which basically equate to unbelief i's going to talk about that as we move through this it pictures of people that were never satisfied it was kind of like saying this well yeah you did all that yesterday what'd you do for me today that's what they did that's the way they behaved yeah you did this for me yesterday but what about today you know, their response to God was based on what he was doing for them right now. Right this minute. And it was supposed to be in response to their demand. That's a hardened heart. That's a deaf ear. That, that's a picture of rebellion and trying. And that's, that's what he's saying here. He says, he says, you've never done enough. You owe me, God. Look at all the good deal you got, you know? You owe me. In fact, they even went so far as to say an exit after all that's gone on, after all that went on in Egypt, after the ten plagues, after the death of of the eldest of all of Egypt, after the the crushing defeat of the Egyptian army when the sea fell on them, you realize that, uh, I don't know if you... I never looked much at ancient world history, but Egypt was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. In one blow, well, in two blows, God destroyed two generations of the military, Mm -hmm. the eldest sons and the existing military. Mm -hmm. Egypt never recovered. I I know some, some of you have been to the Middle East, have been to Israel. Did you go to Egypt too? You know, Egypt is the only third world country in the Middle East. It really is. It's the country you have to have all the shots to go to. The others, you don't have to have them. But Egypt, you do. It never came back. God took it down in two steps. He took out two generations. And they're going, Exodus 17:7. 7, is the Lord among us or not? That becomes their question. That becomes their question. Is the Lord among us or is he not? That's that's the picture that we have of them. Jesus said, speaking to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone raises from the dead. It's a picture of, it can never be enough to convince me. That's, that's the picture. Verse 10 through 11, he goes on and he says, he says, therefore, I was provoked with this generation. I think it's pretty obvious what the therefore is there now. Because of the way they behaved. I was provoked with this generation. And I said, they will go, uh, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is based upon their continued rebellion and testing. I was provoked. This is a very strong word. It has the idea of extreme anger. It has the idea of being vexed. It even carries the idea of loathing. I don't know about you, but I don't think it's a very good place to be where God loathes you that's what this says. The God is so extremely angry, so absolutely vexed that he has a sense of loathing about these people. That's, that's the idea. And he, and he, he says that because of, because of in verse seven, we already know this because they go astray on their, well, verse seven told us because they had hardened hearts. They always go astray in their heart. Their mind is somewhere else. It's not on me. It's not on the worship that Psalms 95 called them to. It's on the, what have you done for me now, the Lord? Are you really with me? Hey, I need this. And it's because they didn't know his way because they were deaf to his voice. They didn't listen to him. It's kind of hard to know his way if you're not going to listen. And the result was, He swore in his wrath, that's his anger, that's his righteous anger against them, that they would not enter his rest. Now, rest is a very, uh, for them, meant they weren't going to enter Canaan. That's what it meant. They died in the wilderness. The wilderness was strewn with their dead bodies. This generation never entered Canaan, except for two guys. Only two. Caleb and Joshua and Caleb and Joshua had to suffer the 40 years in the wilderness with these idiots, but their shoes didn't wear out. But their shoes didn't wear on. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know it is. That's the fun part about it. Deuteronomy 13 talks about how they, they were banned from banned from, uh, how they died in the wilderness. What went on there? And he says, I swore that they would not enter my rest and, and that's uh, found in numbers chapter fourteen chapter fourteen verses verses twenty two and twenty three well i'm going to go back up to twenty then the lord said i have I have pardoned according to your word, in other words he he spared them according to the prayer of Moses after the rebellion, but it says, "But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of them of of The men who have seen my glory and my signs uh, that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of these who despise me shall see it. And then he goes on to say, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which which he went uh, uh, into, bring, bring him into the land into which he went. And his descendants shall possess, uh, possess it. And he, he'll go on later to say Joshua also. But that's, that's the point. They didn't get to enter. Basically, what this is saying for us today to understand it clearly is he's saying they died in the wilderness. They went into eternal hell. They never entered rest. The promised land is a euphemism for heaven. It, it kind of pre pictures it. They didn't enter it. They were not allowed in. That's what he says here. So he's he's come down here and he said, Now if you listen to the Spirit, don't harden your heart. Don't turn a deaf ear to God. Listen to him. Don't don't drive him to the point of wrath with your continued disloyalty. know his ways. And then he gives the, and then, then comes the important part of the text for us, the exhortation. Now he's going to bring the exhortation. He says in verse 12, take care brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading to falling away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. In these verses, the author is applying the example of the Exodus, and he's tying it back to... Chapter, to chapter 3, verse 6b, the last part, it follows right out of that where he, where he has already said. He says, hold fast your confidence in our boasting and our hope. That's, that's the idea. The point is, true believers are true to the end. That's, that's really what the point is. But he's saying, in the meantime, to those of us who are in the church, he says, look. He says, take care, brothers. He's, he's talking to the church here. He says, to us. He's saying, lest there be evil amongst you. That's the idea here. Now, understand something. As long as the church has been, there has always been frauds within it. That's why Pastor Steve gives an invitation at the end of the service. You know, that's why it's there. It's because, yeah, probably well let 's be generous ninety nine percent of us are believers, but there's one percent you know' it's pro- that's probably not accurate but nevertheless uh, that's that's the point there is always those among us and and hes he's saying to them here he's saying he's saying he 's giving a solemn warning about and he's using he 's using the rebellion and the unbelieving of of of, of Israel uh, as an example to call us who claim to be Christians to examine ourselves. That's a call of the new Testament and to be watchful of others, not to allow sin, sinful, unbelieving hearts to take root. Believe me, you know, this is, this is, I, I have to tell you, I, I've been, I've been in church leadership for more or less 40 years. And I've seen a lot of things during that time. Uh, and, and there are a lot of people who come into churches and their motives are not pure. They're not there to worship God. Uh, they're there for power. They're there for position. They're there for prestige. Some of them have titles like pastor and elder. Um, some of them apostatize. That's what this is talking about. It's talking about apostasy within the church. And this is a warning, and it's telling us to watch out for ourselves and watch out for each other. To not allow the circumstances of life to embitter one. Uh, To not allow those who are not of us, that might come in among us, that Paul went to great lengths to warn the the Ephesian elders of in Acts chapter 20. I understand those were attacks from within those were attacks from out uh, that's that's the idea here and that's what that's what he's warning here he says he says he says first of all, take care brothers lest there be anybody that's among the assembly that has an evil unbelieving heart those are quite descriptive an unbelieving heart is evil plain and simple an evil heart Incidentally the way that's structured. It doesn't mean that they just don't believe. It means they refuse to believe. It's an active idea. I won't believe that. I will not. That's ultimately what it's saying. I don't buy it. That's, that's the idea here. It's a refusal to believe. And as a result of that, they fall away. Uh, this word "fall away" means to stand off, to step aside. Th- that's the idea here. It's basically said, "I'm not believing that." That's that's the picture here that he's that he's giving. It's a refusal to believe is is what he's talking about here. Make sure there are not people among you who just simply refuse to believe. And the author is here acknowledging that yeah, there can be unbelievers within the fellowship of believers. And it does happen. In fact, if you go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through uh, 3, uh, verse 6, which uh, outlines Jesus talking to uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis, uh, Sardis, what you find is, is that on all three of those churches, there were either and or, all the above, false teachers, open sin, apostasy, toleration of what was wrong, those kinds of things. He condemns them for that because they allowed it to go on. They didn't do this. They didn't watch. So, this is a call to watchfulness. In 2 Timothy 3 1 through 9, Paul clearly tells Timothy, hey, the day is coming when people just won't listen. They're just going to refuse to listen. He's not talking to evangelizing people out on the street. He's talking about the church here. Because he goes on to say, because they heap to themselves people who scratch their itchy ears. In other words, they tell them what they want to hear. I was watching TV last night. This just, just popped into my head. It's not in the notes, so just take it for what it is. I was watching TV last night, and this commercial comes on. And I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with this guy, but there's this clown named, excuse me. But anyway, there's this guy named Peter Popoff. Have you you seen him? He used to be around. He was on the radio all the time. And he, you know, he was selling, you could, he would sell you a rag that you could put on where you hurt and it would make it better. And, And he would do all kinds of stuff and he would have people... You know, he could, oh, he'd look out here and go, oh, well, I know this about you. And it turned out it was a shell game. He had somebody in the audience feeding him with a microphone, all this stuff. Wife. Yeah, it was his wife. Yeah, you're right. It was pre his wife. Interviews. Yeah, it did pre interviews, and then she would feed him this stuff. Well, he's back. Now he's selling water. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, but That's it's good true. water. Yeah, it's <laughs> mineral, uh, really spring water. It's blessed water. Blessed yeah. spring water. Oh, my. You I know? Gotta get <laughs> it's like. Oh Lord, help us! And people fall for it. He never went away, brother. Yeah, I know. That's he never. The he, he just. He just kind of went in the background for a little bit, you know. And I go, Peter, pop off. Anybody listens to this fraud? But anyway, yeah, they do. A great name for a preacher, pop off. Yeah, and that's what he does. He pops off. But anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I I'll bring us back to the text. But that's just an example of what we have today, and that's what he's warning us about. We got to be careful about this. Our exhortation is to watch. Paul told the Ephesian elders, guard yourself in the flock of God. That, that's not a, you know, this is a good idea. That's a command. That's a, that's an authoritative command. Paul told the Colossians, uh, the uh, Corinthians, excuse me, in second Corinthians 13, 5, test yourself to see that you're within the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you failed the test that's the call here the call here is to keep an eye on each other keep an eye on the church be be vigilant to what is going on around you and he says he says in verse 13 uh, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called a day that none of you have a heart, uh, have a hardened, that are be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. I will get used to this translation one day and stop trying to quote it from the one I know. Uh, But at any rate, uh, at any rate, he says, he says, exhort one another every day, as long as it's today. In other words, while there is still time. That's what it's meaning. While there is still time, exhort one another, exhort Means to encourage. It means to come alongside. It's the same word that's used uh, that that's used of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus says, "I'll send another helper, the Paraclete." It's that word. It's a derivative of that word, and it means to to come alongside and help. That's the idea. We are to be about our brothers. We are to be our brother's keeper. Is the idea here? It calls believers to encourage, <clears throat> to be encouraging in, in their assemblies, to be faithful, <clears throat> and to do it right now. That's what we're to be doing. We're to be about, about keeping an eye on each other, making sure we're okay, making sure we are doing what we should be doing. Why we're a family, that's why. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's that's the idea here. That's that's what we're called to do. Uh, I uh, several years ago I used to attend a church, West Park Baptist. it Used to be on Ming Avenue. It's now a uh, all-you-can-eat restaurant. But anyway, um, the uh, it was a it was a you know it was a, it was a Baptist church so of course we had to have evangelists come in once a year you know and have evangelists some of you remember those if you're old enough you know you have evangelistic meetings you know pack a pew night you know that that kind of stuff it was always fun you brought your whole family that night and make sure that you packed your pew you know whatever but i just remember i remember talking to the evangelist and he was talking about that when he was first getting started and first going around, he went to this church. And he said, I did what you do. You know, you preach your sermon. You blow in, blow up, and blow out. You know, that, that kind of thing. But he said, I preached my sermon. I went to the back of the room to greet people as they left. And he said, he said I don't even know why I said it. Well, he knew why, but he didn't know why he said it when he said it. Mm-hmm. But he said this man came up and was coming out, stuck his hand out to shake it. And he says, do you know the Lord? And the guy goes, my family helped build this church. And he said, I was shocked at his answer. He said, I don't know what to do. So I looked at him. and I said, wonderful. Do you know the Lord? And the guy goes, I've been a member of this church my entire life. And he goes, great. Do you know the Lord? And the guy goes, I'm a deacon in this church. And he says, that's fantastic. Do you know the Lord? And the guy said, no. Understand that we have to be cautious. We have to watch. We have to see who it is and what they're doing. And are they listening to the word? Is it sinking in? Are they doing what they should be doing? Or do they have hardened hearts? Because that's what he goes on to say. He says, he says that. He says, he says, but exhort everyone as long as called a day that none of them be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. And there's a progression that is going to follow in all of this now. He says, deceitfulness, deceitfulness means to be tricked or fraud. Romans seven eleven, Paul talks about his relationship to the law as a Pharisee. And he says, I was deceived. I was tricked into believing that's what did it. That's what he's saying there in Romans. He says, I believe the law did what I thought it did. It brought me close to God and it tricked me. Uh, my works tricked me. And basically sin hardens the heart. The the more you allow sin to invest itself in your life, the less you're going to listen to God. The, the more it moves you away. And he says he says he says it's deceitful it tricks you. It tricks you. And as it tricks you, you get hardened. It, it gets you to the point where you say, "You know, I'm okay." I don't need to be saved. I'm a good person. How many people have you heard say that? You know, I'm a good person. Well, you know, according to scripture, no, you're not. You're totally depraved. But nevertheless, you're a good person. Okay. He says, it's the guy that says, God will take me the way I am because I do what's right. No, he won't. And there are people who come into the church like that. Well, I come here because, you know, it's the thing you're supposed to do. Not because I want to worship God Almighty. That's how Israel failed. They failed to worship. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, don't be tricked. Don't be fooled into thinking you're something you're not. Don't let sin harden you to the point you're not listening anymore. You're not getting it. Don't be the guy that walks in and say, I've arrived, because you haven't. In verse 14 says, verse 14 goes on to say, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence, as he said. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. He basically says, as hearers in Christ, we are to be loyal to the very end. That's what he's saying. The proof of your salvation is going to be when you go home. I don't know, I'm sure some of you used to listen to Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Dr. McGee used to say, there are two big surprises when we get to heaven. Who's there and who's not there. That was his, his saying. Jonathan Edwards, Puritan preacher said, for I'm convinced that this very, oh uh, no, wait a minute, sorry, i start to quote Philippians. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said this, the sure proof of election is that one holds out to the end. Philippians 1.16 promises this to the believer. For I am confident of the very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. But on the other side of that, for the non-believer, the Apostle John wrote. In 1 John 2.19, "They went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. that it might be made plain that we, they were not of us. You know that's just the, the, the sad truth. And then he goes on to say, the spirit says, "Don't harden your hearts is in the rebellion. Don't harden your hearts. The encouragement to the church is, pay attention. be alert. Be on guard. Guard the assembly. Don't allow sin to get a root in your church like it did at Pergama, and it did at Sardis, as it did at Thyatira. Don't allow that to happen. Be on guard. Watch. Come alongside each other and make sure that we're okay. That's, that's the idea here that he's expressing. <clears throat> And then he, he, he does this one last thing with this text in 16 through 19. He, he gives kind of a sober warning. He says this, for who were they? And he had, Basically, what he's going to do here is he's going to ask three rhetorical questions. The, the answer is obvious. He says, for who were those who heard yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? So the first thing he points out here, and I want you to see the progression here. He says, who was it that did this? Well, it was the Exodus generation. That's the answer to all three questions. You've got an A on the test. Uh, that's the answer to the questions. But here's the, here's the little subtle thing that runs through it. He says, who was it that rebelled? That's the first thing that happened. They rebelled. They hardened themselves against God. That's what happened here. Uh, they turned a deaf ear to God. They rebelled. He says, he says and whom was it that provoked for 40 years... Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Once again, the Exodus generation. But notice here, their, their rebellion, which led to the deaf ear to God, progressed to the point that it caused God to be provoked, loathing them, if you will. And, and for 40 years, and they sinned. Their rebellion led them to Sin. And as a result, they died apart from God in the wilderness, never to enter the rest. And he says, in whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? I already kind of got there. But those who were disobedient. The word disobedient doesn't mean failure failure to obey. That's not what it means. It means refuse to obey. Understand here, to rebel, to harden your heart against God, to stop listening to the voice of God, to not hear God leads to sin, which leads to death. But it also leads to willful disobedience, a refusal to follow God. That's what he's pointing out here. That's what he's telling us to understand the deceitfulness, the trickery of sin and how it how it how it works. He says, "So we see, they were unable to they were un, excuse me they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It leads to total unbelief. In other words, what he's saying is, those people we're talking about here are not believers. Beware of them. Beware of them. But as a church, be encouraging one another. Hold either each other accountable daily while it is today. That's, that's the call here. Don't be like Israel who hardened and stopped listening to God. Said, I don't need this anymore. I've, I'm a, I've, I've got it. Or made demands of God. What have you done for me today, God? But to have a tender heart that listens to God, that listens to your fellow believers, that comes alongside each other and comforts each other, And you know, you see this evidence. I have a friend I went to seminary with. He's a good guy. He started, he didn't start a church, but he took a pastorate in a church. He worked really hard. He tried to do everything he could do. It was a little tiny church. The two major families in the church got in a fight and destroyed the church. I mean, literally, they got in a fight over money and destroyed the church. My friend... My friend was just crushed by it all. And in fact, I asked him that question because he he sat complaining to me one day that uh, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did that. And basically what he was saying, and God failed me. And I said, and what did God owe you? That's, I can be kind of blunt, (laughs) you know. And he said, and he looked at me and he went, oh yeah, (laughs) oh Yeah. That's the point here. We got to be on guard for each other. We got to watch out for this. He had tried to do everything right, but you know what? God is a sovereign over the church. He knew what he was doing and why he was doing it. And he brought him along and he had some more failures in his life, but ultimately today he's serving God faithfully. Because it goes to the end. It goes to the end. And that's the point he's making here. The point he's making here, the point he's making here is is Watch out. Guard each other. Look out for each other. Be aware of each other. Listen to God. Don't turn a deaf ear to him. Don't go, oh, I've heard this before. I don't need this. I don't need to go to church this week. It's kind of like the pastor, you know, that uh, wanted a day off. But instead of asking for it, he called his associate pastor and told him he was sick, and he says, "I hope you got a sermon ready." And he went and played golf. And he had the best game of his life, and Peter turned to Jesus and said, "What are you doing? Why don't you Why are you letting this guy have this kind of a game?" And he says, "Don't worry about it. Just watch." And he got to the last hole What are they 18? I don't play golf. Anyway, got to the last hole, and he got a hole in one. And Peter goes, ballistic. What are you doing? Jesus looked at him and says, Who's he going to (laughs) tell? You know, look out for each other. Be cautious of each other. Don't harden your heart. Don't turn away from God. Don't stop listening. Don't stop growing. Don't stop learning. That's, That's the call of this text. That's what Israel did. They hardened their hearts. They stopped listening. They turned away and they died. Don't be like them. That's ultimately what he's saying here. Stay truthful to the end, and that's a guarantee for those of us who are in Christ. So, anyway, at any rate, that's where we are today. So we thank you for your attention. Now, our God and our Father, we thank you as we look at this text, and we ask that uh, we would be uh, we would be attentive to you. We would listen to the voice of the Spirit. We would, not, uh, we would not turn away and say, I don't want to hear this today. Uh, but that we would listen. Uh, we would pay attention. And we would pay attention to one another. We would, we would encourage each other. We would stay on top of things with each other. Uh, and thereby be the blessing we are to be. That we would assemble ourselves together to give you the worship that Psalms 95 calls us to in those first verses that we would bow our knee before the Lord God, our maker, and we would understand that we are yours and you are ours, and that you have called us into fellowship together with one another, and that we might be to your praise and your glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.